Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. We are on the eve of what should be a pretty jam-packed, eventful week four. Bruce, I understand you're going to my uh, hometown. Uh, I am, yes. We are uh, headed to Cincinnati. I've never been at a game at Nippert Stadium in your old stomping grounds. So it'll um, you know get to see Oklahoma, try to get a window into how good Oklahoma is, see what Emory Jones can do. Um, any places I should go eat while I'm in, what do you guys call it, the Queen City? The Queen City, obviously Skyline. You're going to go Skyline? Uh, no, I'm not going to Skyline. <laughs> My guess is, I don't know who plans the dinner reservations for your group. My guess is you will end up at one of the Jeff Ruby restaurants, the Precinct, um, or Montgomery Inn. Everything there, all the like big restaurants there have a sports theme. They're all like every it's Reds and Bengals, whatnot. So my is you'll end up at one of those and and you'll be good. One of the places I'm told we will be hitting is Soto. Not familiar with that. That must be it one has of, a that must hot, be new. It has a high recommendation from former Bengals great Andrew Whitworth. So is it named after Mario Soto? No, it's funny. <laughs> Good reference. That Soto, I'm almost positive as one T. This Soto has two. And I may not be even pronouncing it right. But Look, I haven't lived there in 30 years, so I can't really. I'm not up to date on the um, restaurant tips, but those are the, the ones. This might that be my out. most proudest moment from you. The Mario Soto reference. I mean, that's, that's probably right. Yeah, he was, you know, I started following, started rooting for them around 1984. And it was, I think he was. Yeah, he was still on the team. He wasn't like at his peak, but he was still there. He had a peak, um, okay. Yeah, wasn't he like shortly before? I feel like in the early 80s, wasn't he an all-star type pitcher? Yeah, you might be right. What a what a tangent. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of big games this week. We're going to talk about those in a second. couple things. Our weekly Dion update. Uh, so on Tuesday morning, I'm a ratings geek. I was looking forward to seeing how that game did. And I thought... You know, it's going to be well more than a typical late night Pac-12 game, which gets one or two million viewers. 9.3 million viewers watched a game that ended at 2.15 a.m. Eastern and wasn't Colorado USC, Colorado, Colorado State. You work in TV. Put that in a little bit of perspective. It's insane to think about, Stu, in this context, to get that many people to stay on a game that's that late in the rest of the country, not for me and you, but for the rest of the country. Um, that's like five times what you would get. I feel like for a decent um, pac 12 after dark, remember this isn't like, you know, like USC playing Wazoo or UCLA playing Oregon state. This was a game that had a mountain West team in it. Now it's also, we should note a game that had never mind, just it had both national pregame shows there. It also had the subplot, which became more than a subplot, of Jay Norvell actually making it personal. Like we've yes. you know seen other instances where CU's players had said, you know, Matt Rule said this or Kendall Bryles did that. This was like, oh man, I could definitely see how Deion Sanders and the and Deion Sanders team did not appreciate what Jay Norvell, which to me seemed really out of character from Jay Norvell. That's not you know, he's been on this podcast. But do you before. really think he was that offended by it or is more an opportunity to, I mean, the whole thing is a show. You've got all the cameras. Um, he's selling sunglasses. It turns out that the sunglasses thing wasn't exactly an impromptu thing. 
like I feel like Jay Norvell just gave him the perfect fuel to play that card. But also, like Colorado, Colorado State's a big rivalry in that state. It's not like Ohio State, Michigan. People around the country would not even really know about that rivalry. And this, but this made it feel like, oh gosh, these schools must hate each other. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think it was probably personal for Dion because of, you know, it's like you're talking about how he was raised and his mom. It just, I think on that part. And then I, like, obviously everybody else rallied to his defense, uh, you know, in that program. Um, the game was really entertaining. It was wild. You know, I kept on, honestly, I had texted, you know, one of my big noon colleagues and I was like, man, this feels like this is headed towards like, like bench clearing brawl at some point. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a wild game. I don't know how long in real time it lasted. I'm not surprised that it got a huge number. I, in context of like, you know, the biggest ever of this, you know, just like it's, you know, you and I have talked ad nauseum about the Dion effect at Colorado, but I honestly don't think you can underscore just how big it actually is because a lot of diehard college football fans are probably sick of hearing about it, but just then you see the ratings of this, you see the numbers they're bringing in. And, you know, as we say this into a backdrop where now they're without their best defensive player, Travis Hunter for at least for what we think is three games and the next two weeks, Oregon on the road, you know, Bo Nix is really good and he's got a ton of talent around him. And then you got Caleb who is, you know, that USC offense is loaded. Um, you know, my hunch is they're going to be three and two in a couple in 10 days, but, um, you know, people can't get enough of watching them. I love them or hate them. They are, you know, like, I wonder of this, and let me ask you your thoughts on this. So as you and I were growing up and getting into the business for a long time, and I feel like part of this, you know, like Notre Dame was must see TV for generations, not just because it had a huge fan base national, but I also think a lot of people tuned in to root against Notre Dame. They rooted against them, you know, when Lou Holtz was there, they root against them, you know, certainly when Charlie Weiss was there. I think a lot of people, you know, didn't like Brian Kelly. And I think they felt that. Then Marcus Freeman got the job and, I feel like there's a lot of people softened who, it, softened it quite a bit. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who maybe grew up hating Notre Dame. Like I kind of like Marcus Freeman. He's a cool guy or, you know, whatever. And, and you know, I think there's an element of like Marcus Freeman has never taken a bad photo. You know, he's like the most photogenic football coach that college football has ever seen. And I think there's some, you know, people like the Sam Hartman story. There's, you know, I'm not saying Notre Dame didn't have likable players before, if you, you know, got to know them or got to, you know, see, you know, but the Notre Dame perception is not like people, I, I'm sure there are definitely people who still hate Notre Dame and they may hate the Notre Dame fans, but you know, it's like now with Dion, I think there is, there's absolutely a backlash to all the attention that they're getting. So I think people are tuning in, not all, but there's some people who are never CU fans that now are rooting for, the buffs because it's Dion and because of all the things that are, you know, come with that. And I also think, um, you know, there's probably a big chunk of fans who are like, just let them lose let them get be embarrassed. I'm done with this. I'm over this story. So I think there's, there's that element too, that is playing into it. I think that's true within college football fandom. Like 
the people who are listening to this podcast, the people who read our articles, but to get to 9.3 million tells you that Dion, who's such a celebrity, who has Lil Wayne leading the team out onto the field, and Rock giving the pregame speech, has he has a lot of people interested that wouldn't even normally care about college football. And I don't think they're tuning in to root against him. I think that they, they love, I mean, I saw a tweet last night. Uh, I got from a um, part of the ESPN release said Birmingham was the second largest audience, which is not surprising. Birmingham's always college great football, football country. Yeah. And then, but somebody responded to me, he was a coach in Birmingham. He said, I can't even begin to tell you how, what an inspiration this has been for the the kids in our, at our school. Like, he that's that's the kind of people that this is bringing in and you made the Notre Dame comparison I think it's more the late 80s Miami I think it's it's not you know Notre Dame the, the people who hate Notre Dame has gone back that's generational that's they've been the villain since the 40s um Miami came on the scene as you wrote a whole book about doing things differently than think daring to kind of shake up the establishment and that turned off a lot of people and made them kind of a villain and clearly Dion is doing everything differently than any other coach in the history of the sport has done. And some people think he's brash and obnoxious and puts too much attention on himself. And so I think that's where that dynamic has come in this week, Oregon, it gets even bigger. I think the only thing I'm sure it'll be some crazy TV number for that too. The only thing is this week, there's a lot of competition. Um, that game will be up against Alabama Ole Miss. We got Florida, Florida state Clemson at noon. And we've got, Utah, UCLA, we've got the back two game, Oregon State, Washington State, and obviously Ohio State, Notre Dame in prime time. Um, all right. Ohio State, Notre Dame is the headliner. I think we can agree with that. What's the next game you're most interested in? You know, actually, I'm going to take Colorado, Oregon off the table too, since we just talked about it. You're going to take Colorado. Um, okay. So you can't pick one of those two. Okay. Uh, for me, as I think about this, like, I don't know. I'm, can I, I'm fascinated to see what, what shows up with Clemson at, at Florida state, because I feel like a lot of us, us have written off Davos Sweeney and Clemson after getting smashed by Duke on the road in the opener and the way Florida state honestly looked beating a really talented LSU team the way they did. Um, so I am leaning towards that as the game that I'm most curious about. I mean, I want to see all this. There's a game we'll get to that. I don't think you'll say either, but I do want to talk about the game and everything around it. And that's, um, Ole Miss going to Alabama, Pete Golden. No, that was, that was going to be my answer. Oh, it was. Okay. Not that I'm not excited for the Oregon state, Washington state game, but I just think that, um, I mean, first of all, uh, we've talked about Alabama endlessly on here too. I mean, what's what what are they? What's going to happen here? Is this, is is Jalen Milrow going to come out and save the save the day, or are they in big trouble? And Ole Miss, who has played very well so far, Jackson Dart, I think, is one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the country. Now they're still an under, they're still a six point underdog. So Vegas clearly isn't ready to go there yet, but. You know, if Lane goes in and and takes care of business and and gives Alabama its second loss of the season in September, that would be a really big deal. And then, of course, Lane. We talk about Dion as a showman. Lane did his best to uh, to to add another dimension to the story. 
Yeah, he really stirred the pot. So he's on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, he speaks to the local Ole Miss beat and basically says, I don't want to say intimated, but said how T-Rob, Gerard Robinson, the secondary coach, basically is calling the defense now as if Kevin Steele has been demoted after the Texas game. Now, obviously, you know, not just Pete Golding, there's a lot of ties between the Ole Miss staff and Lane Kiffin's old program, Alabama. So to think, by the way, they also share the same agent. They both are Jimmy Sexton guys. So to think that Lane Kiffin may not have some intel on what's going on inside the offices at, at Alabama, you know, is probably not a, is probably no stretch to think that either. But the nature of to put it out there, knowing you are going to throw a massive um, log on the fire game week. And now, you know, your old boss, Nick Saban, is going to have to defend this and deal with it and get asked about it. Like, like to me, I don't know if this is chestnut checkers. I don't even know what game this is, but it's like, you know, I don't know if, if somebody told Saban this and his first reaction is what a dick, you know, like, I mean, when he sees this and he hears this and he's like, I I'm curious, you know, like where his mind went, because if you're, if you're um, like, think about it this way, if you're the rival coach and is like, Oh, I want to make sure they, I know that they know what's going on behind the scenes, but this doesn't even like, by you saying that and you putting that out there and and purposefully doing that, Lane Lane's smart. And not only does Lane know what he's doing with this stuff, Lane's retweeting yeah. the commentary on this. So that's like that's as trollish as you can get when you're retweeting it and putting it back out there. And Lane Kiffin has a big, especially for college football coach centers, big social media platform. And so for him to retweet this, I think he might have done it a few times just to make sure, hey, did you see what I said? Um, You know, it's not like a lot of times I think coaches want to be very clandestine about what their intel or things they've known. This is the opposite of this. So. um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, if he really if he really believed they were on to something, they would keep to themselves. They would prepare accordingly. And hopefully, you know, throw off Alabama because like, hey, we know what you're doing. He knew exactly what he was doing by putting that out there. And I love how he, like you said, like said it, retweeted it four times and then comes out. The, I don't know if it's the next day or the day after and says, hey, you know, in his next availability, like oh, I didn't I didn't I wasn't trying to make a big deal out of this or anything. I'm just telling you something we observed on the tape. Lane Kiffin's good. Straight face, matter of factly. One thing that, you know. Lane Kiffin's obviously a really good offensive coach. Uh, you can debate whether Lane Kiffin's a top 20 coach or not. He's done a, you know, he's done a good job. He did a really good job at FAU. And he, but one thing that he is great for, he is great for the SEC in that for a league that wants to talk college football 365 days a year, he gives them it. And, you know, if you're Paul Feinbaum or if you're not, even if you're just like, he keeps it more interesting. Nobody does this kind of stuff. This is like, you know, what Dion does, Dion in front of a microphone, you know, there's he's just different from any like he's you know, we talked about charisma as it relates to college football coaches. Dion is in another world. When it comes to like the trolling and the other stuff, Lane Kiffin is in another world. 
Now, at some point, he's got to actually back it up. You know, like, you know, two years ago, it was the bring your popcorn game. Like, you can you can keep trolling Nick Saban, but if you if he comes out and beats you, you know, drubs them again, uh, it's, sometimes it's the boy that cried wolf. Like, this this act will get old. But um, I like their chances this week. I do. Uh, so you're picking them to go in there and win? Yeah, because you yes. know, we, most of us have been focused on, obviously, like, what's wrong with their offense. But their defense got torched by Texas and they're about to play another offense. That's got a lot of weapons. So um, I'm picking Ole Miss. I may regret it. Uh, but I, to me that well, from what we have seen so far, they are the better team. There was also off field news this week. Um, not entirely surprising, but significant Michigan state informed formally informed Mel Tucker of their intent to terminate his contract. Um, basically for violating the moral turpitude clause in his contract with the behavior that he has even admitted to with Brenda Tracy. Um, I think, you know, originally we thought they were going to, you know, play it out, let him have the hearing on October 5th and 6th. But I thought once he came back with that letter, just blasting Michigan state and the, the um, biased process is like, yeah, he's not coming. They're not going to wait till October 5th. They're going to, they're, part ways and then you know it's not over i'm sure he's gonna file a wrongful termination suit and they'll have to defend that and this will go on for a while but because there's a lot of money on the line for for both parties but at the end of the day you know michigan state's gonna have a coaching search and when these schools when these when these um we saw this with usc when they fired clay helton early when these jobs come open that early in the season it's going to overshadow everything else with Michigan state this season. All anybody's going to be talking about is who are they talking to? Who are they? Who's their finalists? Yeah. So we did a story on the athletic um, that night and it's, it's now up on how we think the coaching search is going to go. Also some of the stuff we're hearing inside this process. Um, you know, I would expect them to lean towards somebody with actual real head coaching experience um, what's interesting now, this distinction, I think, I feel like we're almost at the first time where it used to be a, there's power of five and there's group of five. Now, I think this is the first time where we're looking at going, you know what, there's, there are power five head coaches. I'm not saying there were never power five head coaches who would leave one job for another, but I think there's a real distinction between, oh, that's a power five job, but this is a big 10 job. Yes. And so some of the most attractive candidates that I think will be in play, Lance Leipold from Kansas, obviously a power five school, uh, Mike Elko at Duke, you know, we just talked about how they whipped Clemson, done a really good job at Duke, um, potentially Chris Kleiman, also K-State, maybe even Dave Clawson um, at Wake Forest. I think those guys are guys you will see, I mean, I don't know if it comes, you, you know, you mentioned the the lingering pack too. Both those coaches have done really good jobs. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, Jake Dickert, who's a Wisconsin native, um, you know, grew up in Big Ten footprint at Wazoo. Um, the old, the one other name I would maybe keep an eye on, and this guy's not a head, sitting head coach right now, but he has head coaching experience, is a guy I wrote about last week, and that's Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator at Colorado. Done a terrific job. He's a former Wisconsin player. Uh, you know, he's a really good offensive coach. And I think if you're Michigan State, you know, it's a lot easier to sell uh, offense this day and age 
I think, you know, look, some of the questions are going to be like, what's the buyout going to be on some of these guys? Can they afford it? Obviously, you know, their biggest booster who threw a ton of his money to behind Mel Tucker after one year, less than one year, you know, he just bought the Phoenix Suns. I, I'm guessing buyout is not going to be an option because you, you're in the Big Ten. You have a lot of money that's going to keep coming in. So, they also have um, $70 million. They thought they had committed to somebody that's suddenly coming well, back to them. They, that they I think. don't. No, I I wouldn't. That I I'm not sure that they they're sold on that because I suspect they're they're they probably realize Mel Tucker may be getting some of that money. Maybe not it's all. Probably going to be a maybe getting some yeah. of it. Yeah. So one interesting thing is obviously Northwestern's job is open too, and a couple of the names you said would be logical candidates for them too, Mike Elko and Dave Clawson, because they work at kind of similar uh, private schools, academic institutions. I would think that will be your litmus test of how much more attractive is it just to be in the Big Ten versus the ACC. If one of those guys were to leave for what anybody under the traditional you know, model would say is a lateral move, is it just like, well, but... We, I'll have so many more resources. I'll be in the you know most relevant conference uh, or one of the two most relevant conferences. Um, obviously, I would think if you had bo- choice of both, you're going to go to Michigan State because you're going to have an ability to attract. You're in a place that's yeah, you're in a, yeah, yeah. It's you've been in the playoff. You have much better resources. You have a real football stadium. Um, you hey, know, they're I building think- a real football stadium in like 2030 or something. Yeah. Um, no, look, I, I'm under no delusion. Somebody would pick Northwestern over Michigan State, but obviously only one guy is going to get the Michigan State job. And would it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that'll be a telling sign of this power to idea. Somebody were to leave a, a very stable, secure job in the ACC. Hang on a second. A lower like... level Big Ten program. It may be a secure job, but how stable do we really think the ACC is, though? Oh, I meant at that at that school. Like I know, I'm just saying. Dave I think Lawson if you're probably has picture, lifetime job security at Wake, but yes, yeah. that's a, that's another factor, right? Like I got to get off this sinking ship before it falls apart, or I don't want to be my team across the country to play Stanford and Cal. Uh, that'll be an interesting window into that too. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's get to some mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, the mailbag is brought to you by... By Graduate Hotels, by our friends at Graduate Hotels. They've got hotels all over the country and college towns all over the country. If you are... For instance, there's a we're getting into homecoming season. There's a lot of homecoming trips coming up, and if you're going back to see to your alma mater, uh, make sure to try out Graduate Hotels and book a stay at Graduate Hotels this season and get twenty percent off plus fifty bucks to spend on food and drinks. Just use code GRADFB G R A D F B at GraduateHotels.com. They get really into football weekends there. Live music, pregame refreshments. Next morning helpers, if you had a big night, lamps shaped like school mascots. I keep bringing that one up every week, rooftop bars. Plus, perhaps most importantly, the hotel is usually walking distance to the stadium. So 20% off your stay, plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. Book now at graduatehotels.com. Hey, Stu, do you think we can get some of our friends at The Graduate who have famously created room cards that are retro uh the college id do you think we can get a Stuart mandel northwestern freshman year id card to be some poor schleps uh, uh <laughs> that's gonna be card? somebody's they're gonna hand that over at the desk and they're gonna go give me a new one <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. let's start with ryan in san francisco now that we're three games in how do you feel about some of your preseason predictions or bold claims? Pick one to buy, feel confident still, hold, jury is out, and sell, prediction look way off. And I know what he's referring to because he says, Stu, I'll forgive you about being down on Billy Napier as there was a lot of uncertainty with the Gators, but I hope our victory over Tennessee means that means that UF can potentially hit the six to eight win range and continue to build with Billy as opposed to my three and nine prediction. Spoiler alert, that is my one I want back. Okay, why don't you why don't you finish off your deal here since because obviously that Ryan's one is targeted towards the Billy Napier's going to be looking for a job in like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, I feel still pretty confident about the 9 and 3 Alabama pick. Um if anything that might turn out to be too generous, much like 7 and 5 Oklahoma last year was too generous, but I also feel like look, teams get better Teams find their identity. Nick Saban will figure it out and it won't be like disastrous. I don't, I don't think he's going to run the table or even 
you know, I just picked them to lose to all Miss. So that gives you one loss the rest of the way. Uh, jury is out. You know, what I would say with that is I have a USC Washington Pac-12 title game pick before the season. I feel bo- pretty good about both those teams still and especially good about Washington. But I'm not ready to sit here and say those two teams are clearly the best teams in the Pac-12. I think Oregon could be it. I think Utah could be it. Um, still not done with my dark horse Oregon State team. And I think Washington State is turning out to be a lot better than we thought. Sneaky, you know, sometimes you you there's games you don't even notice at the time. And then you look back and go, huh, that Colorado State team that took Colorado to the wire, uh, Washington State hung 50 on them before they beat Wisconsin. So I'm I'm not ready to say I feel... 100% certain about my USC Washington pick because I think there's probably at least two and possibly as many as four other teams that could do it. Okay. Um, I will take the prediction that I was like a little bit about, and that would be having the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Now, though, if they landed a five star receiver, which was a huge get for them like last week, but they're one and two, and, and both losses were close. They were, you know, they lost. You had an upset special in Laramie, a place that I'm pretty sure you've never been to, um, <laughs> but you called it and the, and they lost 30, 35, 33. By the way, I the, called Ohio over Iowa State this week, too. You know, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back since you're doing that. So I have I've also hit two upset specials this season of the first three weeks. So are the audible is your place to make a little bit of money, apparently. Um, but that one. Look, I don't think they're going to fall apart, but I did not think they would be one and two. I didn't think they would lose to both Wyoming and Oregon. I thought they would upset Oregon. They came close, but they had four turnovers, and Bo Nix played a lot cleaner game than Tyler Shuck did. Um, you know, looking at what they have now, I think there's a chance, you know, at West Virginia, Houston, which is struggling, and Baylor, which has also struggled. I think they have a chance to get back on track, but that one I'm a little, little leery of that prediction. That's the um, one you want. You want back, unless you know something else I've said. That, that, that <laughs> no, is... that's just just clarifying because you weren't yeah. saying it quite that strongly. Yeah, um, for me, I am still feeling good about Michigan. Um, I know JJ McCarthy had some picks last week, but part of why I feel really good about this is also I'm looking at the rest of college football has not looked great of the heavyweights. I mean. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of other people now kind of come on and go, yeah, Michigan is really talented. Oh yeah. Chris Jenkins is maybe looking like a lot better than we thought he was. And maybe Chris Jenkins is looking like what Jim Harbaugh said, like he might be a top 10 pick. Um, Blake Can I just stop for a second though? Like you may be totally right, but don't you think one of the reasons they've looked less vulnerable is because they haven't played anyone with a pulse? That is fair. That is fair. But like, Alabama looks vulnerable. Alabama's a bad example because USF, but like. At least Georgia played a SEC program this weekend that might have been able to expose some flaws if they have them. Michigan really hasn't had that yet. That's true. But it was like, you know, these other teams haven't looked that impressive when they've, you know, like it's like, I don't know. I, I get where you're coming from. But like you said, Alabama had its hands full with a really bad um, USF team. Tennessee did not look good against an FCS Austin P, And then they got, 
you know, smacked around by Florida and we look what we thought Florida was going to be. So I'm in that regard. I still feel good about Michigan as my national title pick. Do I feel, I probably feel a little, little stronger than I did before. Um, and then I don't know, was there a third one of this? Like something that the jury's still out. Yeah, I would say for me, um, you know, the jury's still out on UCLA because they haven't really played anybody. But like I had them 16, which is higher than a lot of people had them if they had them anywhere in the top 25. And I think UCLA is kind of hanging under the radar a little bit because there's been so many prolific offenses. And obviously what Dion's done, you know, at Colorado has gotten a lot of attention, I think. You know, Dante Moore has looked good. The transfers that they that he brought in has looked really good. So that one is one that I think will look shrewd um, a month or two from now. Well, that That's- leads right to another question we got from Mike in Iowa, where he said, if UCLA beats Utah this weekend, do you like their chances to get to the USC game with one loss or less? I'm planning on buying tickets to that game if UCLA wins Saturday. Uh, you know, the, the challenge for me with them is, you know, it's not easy because after that, again, Utah is super physical. They got Wazoo. Now it's home, but Wazoo has a really explosive offense. I think Cam Ward has been one of the better kept secrets so far in college football, because there's only so much talking we can do about Pac 12 quarterbacks. And he gets kind of lost in the shuffle. Then they go to Oregon state. Who's really physical. I mean, you know, I think they'll beat Stanford. I do think they'll beat Colorado because I think they're a bad matchup for Colorado. They lost to Arizona last year, and that's on the road. I mean, there's probably four tough games even after Utah. So, I, you know, like I said, I think they're a top 20 team. I don't think they're margin for error. And also, you're, you're dealing with a true freshman quarterback. I think there's going to be some inconsistency there. Um, I think their offensive line is pretty good. I don't think their offensive line is great by any stretch. I know they can run the ball, but I just feel like, I, I don't know, I could see them winning this week and I could see them stubbing their toe in Corvallis or maybe even in Pullman or maybe even against Wazoo. It's not in Pullman. Don't say more people haven't really seen him yet, but uh, will this weekend, like if, you know, if Dante Moore goes in and has a big game and on the road and beats the two time PAC 12 champions, that's going to give me a lot of confidence in their chances down, down the road. Um, but like you said, a freshman quarterback, this would, you know, this would be a, um, a moment where you might expect him to struggle. I'm not confident saying they would get to the USC game with just one loss because of, because of everything you just said, but that would be, that would certainly be a big win this weekend. All right, Stu, let's end on this from Steve K and Indy piggybacking on my two favorite pastimes, UM football and Seinfeld with a nod to Bruce. In what order would you have Elaine, George, Jerry, and Cosmo act as head <laughs> UM head coach for a quarter in Harbaugh's place and why? I mean, first of all, thanks for that question, Steve. This is the one opportunity we will ever have, Bruce, for you to engage in a pop culture related question. That's not true. There's certain music I like that you may not like, but it's just... I think this is the one opportunity TV, for TV to, show or movie, right? TV this is the show one or chance. movie, yes. Unless we're going to get a true romance question or something about some Tarantino movie, probably not going to not going to be able to indulge me. Um, but you like Seinfeld, right? You like you oh, know your guy. Yes. I can I can quote Seinfeld like the next person. So 
Who would you want? So they play, let's see, they opened against East Carolina. Uh, For me, I would absolutely like my, my two favorite characters on that show were Frank Costanza and George Costanza. Um, and so I would always say him first of those four. Um, I wasn't like a huge, huge Kramer uh, fan, but just the absurd stuff that you would get from the Jason Alexander character would make me think he would be my first choice. So let's see. Harbaugh went with Jesse Minner for that game, which is kind of the safe pick, right? So um, I would have, I would guess I would start things. First game, we want to make sure we got everything buttoned up. So I'm going to go with the one sane character on that show, or mostly sane character with Jerry. You don't think Elaine was sane? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, nobody was totally normal on that show, but, you know, Jerry kind of played the straight guy. Um, all right. Week two. Was that the one where he played two? Yeah, I think he uh, did a half with each, uh, his son and Mike Hart. So that was, yes, Jake, that was uh, special teams coordinator Jay Harbaugh and running backs coach Mike Hart. So Mike Hart's the, kind uh, of the fan favorite, right? So, um, but and Kramer's the fan favorite. So I'm going to have Kramer as one of them. And let's do, uh, let's do Elaine. Okay. And then the third one, you are going to, you're going to make Sharon more the George Costanza of the staff. Correct. I don't, I don't, there's not really an exact analogy there, but like, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. We're going to have George and George and Elaine in the second one. Cause Kramer should be the, the closing act. The one that comes, you know, breaks into the door, you know, opens the door to Jerry's apartment and gets like the last line. What's your fit? Do you have a favorite all time Seinfeld moment? Um, it's probably a Frank Costanza moment. The one that keeps coming back to me the most because it's so Pac-12, George Klyovkov, was the tr the drive to the Hamptons. Just because it's the most, there is something <laughs> about when you can't get out of a lie and you keep doubling down and keep doubling down. And there's something very relatable in that where it's the dog ate my homework kind of thing. And so that's the one that probably comes back to me, I think, for you. So the beauty of Seinfeld, what made it so great is that you they would have three different storylines throughout the show and they would all converge at the end. And the best example of that, that I, you know, the, the one that strikes out to me the most is there was an episode where Jerry kept doing a voice that his girlfriend hated and and Kramer was inventing this ball full of oil. And the show ends with the ball full, ball full of oil falling onto the girlfriend who hates the voice. Um, that's what made me think Kramer should come in at the end with like the, 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 the final funny moment at the end of the show. As always, send your questions to the autopod at gmail.com and we'll see you next time.